Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And you are live. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. Hey, a hearty hello to everyone out there. Thanks for joining us for another round of Cosmic Cocktails on Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true what's woo and what gets flushed down the loo in today's slightly crazed world. Now, we try to do this objectively, putting aside preconceived notions and assumptions, rising above the polarizing rhetoric of partisan politics. Our goal here at Metaphysical Martini is to drink a martini and then to let the spirit inhabit the human, to see our world from a higher vantage point, to let our higher selves guide our human selves and smash that myth of duality. Let's bring it all together. As you can imagine, it's a bit of a challenge. But here at Metaphysical Martini, we are always up for a challenge. So bring it on, people. Bring it on. Now, this program exists primarily to encourage we the people to connect the dots and to see through the establishment's relentless campaign of perceptual engineering. Yes, my fellow Americans, it is time to reclaim our minds, to open our hearts, and to move our civilization into the light. And we do this, on this show anyway, by answering your questions. So please keep them coming, and let's make this kind of conversation mainstream. Send your emails to me, Oni, Oni at oniavidician.com. And your snail mail is always welcomed at my P.O. Box, which is Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, USA. A reminder again, please don't leave your questions and comments on my voicemail or they will be deleted. And many thanks. Many thanks to all of you who have written in with constructive feedback and encouraging comments I am grateful for the feedback, all of the advice, all of that, because I'm quite new to this podcasting format and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks, thanks, thanks. All right. Well, I think we should just get right to it then and take a look at all of these questions that we've got here in our box. And let's pick one. So here it is. Our first question comes from a lady in Akron, Ohio. And she calls, <laughs> this is, she calls herself Miss Roadrunner. Hello, Miss Roadrunner. So Miss Roadrunner asks, I am by nature an optimist. I always try to look on the bright side and I do my best to encourage others to do the same. Lately, it has not been easy. I often find myself in a black mood and at times I give in to despair. What is happening to our country? 
Prices keep rising. I spend my entire income on sheltering and feeding my family. The homeless population now exceeds half a million, and people are just angry and plain rude to each other. What happened to common decency? Our leaders in the government don't seem to care about anything except their own wage increases, and under all that anger and confusion, there is a palpable undercurrent of hopelessness. How do we get back on track? How do we regain common decency? Whoa! Well, Miss Roadrunner, I say beep beep because that's a very very good question. I think a great many people feel as you do, angry, confused, a bit on the hopeless side, and I hear this every day, pretty much. Life is a grind. All my money goes to essentials for basic survival. How am I supposed to be happy when I'm quite possibly one paycheck away from becoming homeless myself? So, what happened to common decency, and how do we return to it? I think the clue lies in your sentence: "What is happening to our country?" The emphasis being on our country. Now, there's a lot more to it than what I'm about to say, but you know, we the people stopped getting involved in the process of government. We woke up one morning, or it seems that way. And we found that our lives were unbelievably busy, and filled for the most part with pointless distractions. Slowly but surely, we stopped getting involved in the grassroots issues, such as participation in local government, in the education system, in local agriculture. We became too busy, I think, to cook for ourselves, and we started buying and consequently creating a greater demand for pre-prepared foods. So our health suffered. Physically and mentally, and the pharmaceutical industry was all too happy to provide happy pills to soothe the unrest fermenting in the bosom of the masses, as it were. Then, of course, there's this thing that they called trickle-down economics. Well, trickle-down economics ruined the middle class, and it turned it into the uneducated working, into the educated working poor. And it also started a series of events designed to funnel all capital, all money, into the bank accounts of the top one percent, which they then hid in offshore accounts, avoiding taxes, placing an even heavier burden on the rest of society. And that's why we have so many hopeless people. There is a direct link there. You know, recently there was this whole thing about the Panama Papers, an offshore company in Panama. Um, Mossack Fonseca.、Uh, there, there were a bunch of lawyers that quite legally, legally、uh, set up these shell companies for all the crown heads of Europe and anybody who didn't want to pay taxes, who were multi-millionaires and billionaires. Well, there was a whistleblower. What happened was that Mossack Fonseca got all the crap funneled their way. They lost their business. Panama's economy tanked. But all the money that they were legally shifting around for these、uh, rich people, the, the, the economic elite, well, that no one took that away from the economic elite, did they? No, they didn't. They just put their money somewhere else in another offshore account somewhere, Delaware or one of the other tax havens. So you know,、mm, 
it's come down to it, I think, that every aspect of our lives now is controlled to some degree by our corporate overlords who own the government through this lobbyist agenda. I mean, anywhere else it would be called bribery and corruption, but apparently here it's called lobbying. So, yes, Miss Roadrunner, people are confused. They are angry. They feel hopeless because they're fearful of the future and what it might hold for them, their families. And fearful, angry, hopeless people, they will lash out. They will be rude. Oh. You know, ultimately, though, we have to take some responsibility as a collective. The power to overcome this is in our hands. And it's not going to happen overnight. But we can make a start. And we can make a start right here, today, right now. Because government does not lead. Not these days. Those are not our leaders. Oh, no, 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 no. They are, for the most part, self-serving elected officials. Let's not confuse them with leaders. They're administrators, not working on behalf of the people for the most part these days. So, deep breath, everybody. I think we all have some feelings along this line. Miss Roadrunner is not alone in this. So, first of all, let's remember that we are powerful cosmic co-creators. We created this world and we created the scenario we are currently experiencing. We can just as easily co-create a new one. Now, I think I have a three-step start to how we can begin to solve this. And the first step is essential. Take time each day to quiet our minds and breathe deeply. And let's do this, each one of us, for a minimum of 12 minutes. And if you want guidance, by the way, on how to breathe for 12 minutes, email me and I will send you my breath protocol. It's completely free. Why do we do deep breathing? Well, we do it because it clears the triggers of frustration from our aura and our chakras, our energy anatomy. And that allows us to rise above the drama and think clearly, objectively. After all, if your boat is sinking because water's coming in, you're not going to keep bailing out the water while not finding where the hole is and plug it, right? So, before you do anything, don't step into the drama of it. Deep breaths, clear the aura, settle yourself. The second step is to list the issues we feel should be addressed locally and nationally. Now, this is going to take you some time because, you know, we're all so in our rage and in our rant that we're not even sure what we're complaining about anymore. So you're going to need a couple of days to sort that out and then maybe take a week or two even to make that list. What is it that you're truly bothered about and what are those issues locally and nationally? And then the third step is to evaluate our level of contribution to these issues. For example, it's all very well to scream and shout about plastic in the ocean and having more organic produce available. But if we're buying our organic produce wrapped in plastic packaging, we're creating a demand for more plastic. So perhaps we should focus our attention on producing locally. Now, that's just one example of many, um, but you get the point. So once we've taken some time to complete these first three steps, then we decide where and how we choose to focus our efforts for change. Strong hint, education is paramount. If you have children, you really need to be very much engaged in their education. 
help us to bring back civics, help us to bring back debating societies, help us to teach our children to play chess, to discuss the fundamentals of philosophy with them, to have some good classics and basics in their education. We don't want them to be automatons and conformists. We want them to be critical free thinkers. The establishment does not want them to be critical critical free thinkers. The establishment wants them to be automatons. We've got to fight back. Now, we need to get involved in all things local. We need to build stronger local communities because, remember, the Koch brothers, remember them? I think one of them might have popped off, but, you know, the Koch empire, they were focused on buying up local government long before they moved on to the national level. They know how it all works, these people, and it's about time we, the people, did too. So I thank you, beep beep, for your most excellent question, Miss Roadrunner. Take heart, my darling, and take charge. I believe in us. I believe in the U.S. I believe in our capacity for rational thought, and I'm hopeful for our future. And I urge left-wingers and right-wingers, those of you who are totally married to your partisan politics, stop going around in circles and chasing your own asses. Stand firm as Americans, for heaven's sake, and get a brink. And get a grip. We're probably on the brink of a crisis here that can easily be resolved. Okay? Now, thanks for that question. That's a good one. There's a lot to it, but we must not buy into the hopelessness. When we find ourselves going down that deep, dark road, stop, breathe, take a walk, anything, clear the aura of the depression, and just fix your attention to something more pleasant. It's that easy. And that way, you're energetically ready to move on and do something about the problems that keep causing us to crash emotionally. All righty. Our next question comes from Billy, who lives in Maybury. Oh, no, sorry, Middlebury, Vermont. Oh, my gosh, it must be beautiful there at this time of year, Billy. Um, anyway, Billy asks, what is the purpose of reincarnation? Well, Billy, I guess the short answer to that is the soul's evolution. We are, of course, magnificent manifestations of cosmic divine energy. So I don't see the point of having just one life and then sitting on a cloud for eternity, watching everything go by and not being able to participate. Now, our universe, the entire cosmos, is filled with wonders. Our co-creating souls are just chomping at the bit to design and to produce, to experience, to have great adventures, to build new worlds and um, boldly go where no soul has gone before. And all of this for the glory of supreme cosmic intelligence. We have reincarnation because we are not the puppets of a capricious and controlling God. We are, each and every one of us, gods in bods. The divine is simply too great to hold just one form. We are its forms, many and myriad and, and generally quite marvelous. So I'm glad you're exploring the whole thing with, you know, eternal life and reincarnation, because that's what reincarnation is. It's eternal life. I know a lot of people, uh, perhaps people who are quite religious, may think, well, you know, you have this one life and you do what you can. And then you're judged and then you go, and you sit on a cloud. Or hang out in some portion of heaven. And that's it. Well, that's not eternal life, is it? So good for you, Billy, for rethinking all of this. All right. Thanks for that question. 
And let's pull another one out of the hat. Let's see what we got here. Oh, yeah. So this one is from a chap called Larry, and he lives in Smyrna. Uh, oh, that would be the one in Delaware, I think, <laughs> not the one in Turkey. Uh, although that's Izmir now anyway. Oh, okay, back to Harry's question. Dear Suburban Shaman, how do I get rid of ghosts in my house? I moved in last year as I got a great deal on the house, but have felt uneasy from the get-go. I often see shadows and have felt something or someone touch me when I am asleep. It wakes me up. This only happens at night. One time I heard the toilet flush and I live alone. What advice can you give me? I'm not scared. I'm a guy. But it's weird. And if I want to have someone come stay with me, I think they might be frightened by this. Okay. Good question, Larry. We, we get a lot of ghost questions on this show uh, and, and, and in my work in general. Um, let's first of all define uh, what a ghost is. So <clears throat> if you and I drop dead right now, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, our soul, the part of us that's the soul, will wrap itself up in the energy anatomy, the aura of the chakras, the light body anatomy, and it will leave the body and it will open a portal and it will go to heaven, which is Earth's other side. And then all that's left on Earth is the body that we honor and wrap and it decomposes. Now, <clears throat> if for any reason you die, your mortal body, your physical body dies, but the soul sees the portal and doesn't move on, then that's commonly what we would call a ghost. A spirit is what we commonly call in metaphysics somebody who's already gone to the other side but wants to, you know, can safely transport themselves backwards and forwards. A ghost is someone who's died who has not moved on for whatever reason. And there can be many, many different reasons why people don't move on. One of the most common is that they think that um, God is going to punish them for something or another, uh, you know, or you can be absolutely rip-roaring drunk or, you know, there's a million and one reasons why you may see the portal and not go through. But the point is, you haven't gone through, now you don't have a physical body, and here you are on a realm that is designed only to sustain life for physical beings. So what do you do? You're scared. You're waving at people. You're jumping up and down. No one can really see you. No one can really hear you. It's a bit like being in the worst acid trip you've ever had in your life. So the ghosts are the ones who are afraid. I want to put this out to everyone. We're all afraid of subtle energies, aren't we? We're all afraid of things that we don't understand things that we don't have <clears throat> a frame of reference or familiarity for. But put yourself in the ghost situation. They're the ones in the acid trip. They're the ones that are scared. And if they've been there long enough, they learn how to manipulate some of the physical things on this realm. So if they are, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if they are making noise, then it's a cry for help. If, you know, they're knocking things over or flushing the toilet, they love water, by the way, because if you don't have a body, you have to take energy from somewhere. Um, and they'll touch you at night because they'll take some of your energy to keep them going because they can't eat because they don't have a physical body. So we're dealing with somebody like you and me. If you can define gender, if you can define some sort of humanity, 
some sort of familiarity, then it's a human ghost. And of course, there are animal ghosts as well. But generally, they move on a lot faster because they have less issues than we do. So first and foremost, um, I know you said you're not scared. I'm sure you're not. Uh, but if your friends come over and they get scared, you can tell them there's nothing to be afraid of. It's the ghost who's afraid. So I don't know what your faith base is or whatever, but you need to help these beings move on. Now, if you are a Catholic or you have some sort of religion and you have a priest that will come over and bless the house and pray for that ghost to move on, then that's what you should do. If you are non-denominational, um, then call someone like me. There's got to be people like me out there in Delaware, um, a shaman, an energy worker, something along those lines. And they will be able to come into the place and surround your house in golden light, white light, and talk to the ghost and all of the entities that are there. Because, you know, honestly, there, there never is just one, um, you know. And open a portal. And a portal will open because God loves us unconditionally and will always receive us back in heaven. And then they'll go through the portal to the other side, and that's the end of that. And then your house will be blessed again and fantastic and illuminated. So it's really that simple. And perhaps you can, if you think that you can do this yourself, you can. If you have any sense of, uh, of, of, of prayer work, you know, connect with whoever you think is God or Supreme Cosmic Intelligence and say there's a lost soul down here. Please send the appropriate angelic realm to take care of it. Um, and they will. <clears throat> okay. Well, Billy, I hope that helps. If you need professional advice, um, it's to hand. If you can't find anybody out there, just um, give me a call and I'll see if I can refer you to someone or I can even help you myself. All right, Billy. Fantastic. Oh, sorry. That was Larry. Oh, okay. I need to slow down on the martini, darling. That was Larry. Okay. Sorry, Larry. Okay. Take care of your ghost one. All right. And our next question here is from, oh my gosh. This is from a chap called Volodya, and he's from Ekaterinburg in, um, in Russia. Здравствуйте, Volodya. Как вы почитаете? Oh, my gosh. How wonderful. I don't think we've had a, a letter from anybody in Russia before. So, oh, fantastic. So, um, Volodya says, he asks, Dear Suburban Shaman, is it possible for a shaman or similar type person to use their powers for evil? I ask because I have had much bad luck and feel like I am attacked by some dark force. This happens especially when I am in a very happy mood, which I find confusing. I was drinking much when I was younger, but I'm clean now for five years. My friends are still drinking and they like dark things. Thank you. Hmm. <clears throat> okay, Volodya. Um, all right. A couple of things on this. Uh, yes, it is possible for a shaman or similar person to use their powers for evil. The force is the force. It is, of course, the principle of uncreate, you know, unconditional love that create, creates the cosmos. But the force is, just like in the Star Wars movies, the force. You can use it for good or you can use it for evil because it is a free world and a free universe right now. Um, however, I, I have to say that the percentage of shamans that are trained highly enough to be able to focus dark energies in such a specific way, there's not really a lot of them around. And most of them 
um, are uh, swept up by the government and forced to work for the governments and, and, and work for, you know, the dark hats themselves. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't any others out there, but for the most part, a shaman won't, won't buy into the evil. Okay. So I, let me just go out on a hunch here. Yes, it's possible to answer your question. Of course it's possible. Honestly, I've lived long enough to know I don't know anything. Anything's possible. But I will say what it looks like to me is you're saying this happens, especially when I'm in a very happy mood, which I find confusing. So you have a history where you were drinking a lot and, uh, you know, that has its own set of complications. And congratulations to you for being sober and clean for five years. That takes a lot of guts, my friend. Good for you. I think what's happening is you're back on track and you're doing well. And this insidious force of self-sabotage, which some people call the false alter ego, occasionally comes back to to attack us. And it can seem like a very, very dark force. But really all it is is part of this field of the collective field of our of, of our insecurities, the false ego. What we've created this field and when we start a spiritual path and we start to clean up our act. It lets us do it for a while, but then it sees that as you walk into the light and you're working into functional life and spiritual alignment, the false ego thinks, oh, my gosh, I'm dying. I'm no longer going to live in this man. And so it comes and threatens you, and it says something along the lines of, oh, Volodya, come on. You really thought that you were going to be sober for the rest of your life? You really thought that all this spirituality and all this clean living, it's a permanent thing? No, 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 my friend. That's for other people, not for you. No, no, no. Take a drink. You wallow in mediocrity. (laughs) You know, and when that happens, and you you can feel very much like being attacked by dark forces. But when that happens, Volodya, you should congratulate yourself because the false alter ego is attacking you because you are actually on track. So then what you want to do is pat it on the head and say thank you very much for reminding me that I am doing so well. I have no further use for you. Goodbye. And it will go away. And from time to time, it may try to attack you again. But it's not going to be able to harm you. Because after five years, you are well and truly back in the light. So I think that's what's happening, Volodya. I think it's a false ego attack as opposed to, to to dark things. And when you say your friends are still drinking and they like dark things, these shamans that can do dark things, they don't drink alcohol. They are 110% straight and sharp to be able to do that sort of thing. So I think your friends are just getting drunk and talking rubbish. Um, and, you know, um, loyalty is a good thing, but if they're bringing you down, man, step away. You're doing fantastic. I don't think you've got dark. You sent me a picture of yourself, um, which I see here in black and white. But um, honestly, you don't even look like you have any attachments of any note. So congratulations. You're not being attacked by dark forces. Stay in the light and uh, hopefully your friends will go there, too. So thanks for that question. And I think we can do probably just one more question before uh, moving on to the other subjects. As we know on this show, I am a notoriously bad timekeeper, and I'd love to get all the little sections fitted in, but who knows? So I'm going to have a little drink. Oh, very lovely, very spicy today. Mm. 
All right, one more question. And this one is from Joe. And Joe and his family live in Bend, Oregon. Oh, a lovely part of Oregon, actually. Um, and Joe says, Dear Arnie, we watch all your YouTube videos and are enjoying your irreverent spirit on Metaphysical Martini. Just when we have you all figured out, you go and throw us for a loop. You are one crazy lady. But I guess that's what we need right now. We particularly enjoyed your video on how to discuss guns. My family would like to know if you own a gun. And if you do, how do you use it and how do you secure it? Hmm. Well, interesting question. Uh, well, thank you for your comments, Joe and family. Uh, I doubt you will ever have me figured out. Because I think I would have to get there first and that's not going to happen anytime soon. So, but thank you so much for watching my videos and for your comments on this show. Do I own a gun? Yes, I own a shotgun and I settle side by side 20 gauge. Uh, you know, clay pigeons, they fear me. Um, I use my shotgun for shooting clays. So that's the only thing I use my shotgun for. So I see no point in keeping it at home. So I keep it at the club. So uh, thank you for the question, Joe. Uh, if anybody else wants to know my views on guns and gun control, oh, my God, is that a sensitive subject here in the United States of America? Just please watch my video on YouTube. I'm sure we'd all love to live in a society where we didn't need guns or bows and arrows or rocks and sticks. And we were all vegetarians and we we're all in utopia. And who wonderful. I hope that day comes. But it's not now. So let's keep cool heads and warm hearts when we discuss guns. All right. Okay, thanks for the questions. I think if we have time towards the end, we'll, we'll get to some more. But right now, let us get on to uh, a subject, a section here that everyone finds quite fun, and that pleases me tremendously. Um, that is the wizard's gizzard. Do -do 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 -do. A spiritual ritual that you can make habitual. Today's whizgiz is, if you want a life that's better and bigger, it's time to control your emotional triggers. Hmm, interesting. Emotional triggers, yes. So, from a shaman's point of view, an energy worker's point of view, emotional triggers in the energy anatomy are like little landmines or little time bombs. They're just waiting for someone to step on them and then, boom, lots of mess and lots of nasty, icky fallout. So what causes them and how do we manage them? So what's an emotion anyway? Hmm. Well, clearly it's a vehicle for intelligence. What do I mean by that? You feel emotions, don't we? We feel emotions. And what do those emotions teach us? Well, they teach us how we feel about any given thing that we're feeling at the moment, how we feel about something. Say, for example, you have a something traumatic happens to you. Well, that trauma comes into your energy anatomy, causes an electrical disruption, and from that intelligence that's coming in, you get to figure out how you feel about what just happened. And, of course, you can have lovely emotions too. Wonderful things can come in and illuminate the electrical energies, and you'll remember those, and those will... Those will be wonderful things. But generally, when we talk about emotional triggers, of course, we're talking about things that went wrong. Like, you know, you're standing in the line 
somewhere in Safeway and somebody's moaning and groaning and complaining and you say to them, oh, sir, please go in front of me. And instead of saying thank you very much, they scream their head off at you and go into some sort of hissy fit. That shocks you. Any type of trauma shocks the electrical anatomy and it leaves a disruption in there. Like a little, like a little, so pain does the same thing too. Pain comes out of the body and it, there it is, the electrical signature for pain. And you, we have all these thought forms, our own thought forms, other people's thought forms. Most of them are unresolved. And how do we feel about the things we're thinking about? You look at our aura, you know, which is like this giant egg shape all around you and down at the ground before you. You're in the middle of this egg-shaped aura, and it's all these little tiny dots, which are short circuits in the electrical anatomy. So these are all triggers. We love to hold on to those triggers, don't we? We do like to have a sense of victimhood somehow or another on this planet. And we internalize, because for some reason we're just not emotionally mature enough to discuss our problems with each other, honestly and openly. Heck, you know, self-honesty is one of those things we find the most difficult, I think. So by the time you get to a certain age, any age, it doesn't matter, you get to my age at 60, you've probably got a whole bunch of emotional triggers. And that is the same as having tons and tons and tons of pop-ups and short circuits on your computer. You just know that one day something's going to come along and it's just going to be the right thing at the right time. And the whole computer system is going to crash. Well, when that happens to a human being, we call that a psychic tear or a nervous breakdown or whatever the politically correct term that people are using for it now. Some sort of a mental breakdown. So most of my job is removing these emotional triggers from people, teaching them how they got there and teaching them how to Keep the aura clear. So this WizGiz protocol is very simple. For seven days, be aware of anything and everything that triggers you. Every time you're triggered, take nine deep, slow breaths to repair the electrical disruption caused by the trigger. Then record your observations in a dedicated journal. What triggered me? When? Why did it trigger me? Did it bring back a memory? Did it mess with my worldview? Why was I triggered? An analogy I often make is that an emotion is an emotion in the trigger. It's, um, it's rather like somebody hands you an envelope. And the minute you get that envelope, you know that it's going to be bad news. Because you just get that feeling, don't you? So what you're going to do then, you have no choice. You have to open up the envelope and you have to take out the intelligence from the envelope. You have to read it and you have to process it and archive it. And now that's information and that's wisdom and knowledge inside of you. Now, what are you going to do with the envelope? If you leave the envelope on the dresser, Every time that you come into your room, you're going to look at the envelope, which is the trigger, and you're going to remember how you felt the first time you heard that information. That's the trigger in the aura. 
That little electrical disruption is the same as the envelope. And the only way that we can get rid of it as humans is deep, slow, purposeful breathing. So this exercise will really open you up and it will heal the fragility that has become commonplace amongst human beings. You know, why be a walking time bomb when understanding and learning how to interact with our own energy anatomy could change our lives from combustible to functional? Every time you're triggered, take nine deep, slow, purposeful breaths and then revisit the trigger and write down what triggered me. Why did it trigger me? Did it bring back a memory? Did it mess with my worldview? <sighs> Breathe it out. Breathe it out. That's the wizard's gizzard for today. It's so important. I think it requires a gong. All right, my darlings. What are we going to do now? Let's take a look. Oh, I think it's time for a touch of poetry. Because, yes, folks, after a hard day shamaning, I like nothing better than to come home, put up my feet, have a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, and write really bad non-peer-reviewed poetry. After all, why have Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have cosmic honey and a whole lot less? I have two short, really bad poems to share with you today. The first is very apropos for the season, and the second is just silly. So, you know, no no rhyme, no reason. The very first one is called Woeful Ode to a Pumpkin by Arnie Avedisian. Oh, large orange blob, tasteless with stringy texture. Why people eat you is well beyond conjecture. Just one mouthful of your flesh produces noxious gases. A culinary prankster has deceived the hungry masses. If there ever comes a time when only you as food exists, I will tell you here and now, I will be quite royally pissed. Ta-da! That was Woeful Ode to a Pumpkin by yours truly. And that was so bad, I think we'll do another one um, that's probably even worse, but much shorter. So there we are. And this next one is from my collection, A Tiny Pat of Poetry, and it's called Bang Bang. Here goes. A child I met the other day thought pizza grew on trees. I tracked his wayward parents down and shot them in both knees. Well, there you are. I told you it was bad, but it's a bit of fun. And we all need a bit of fun, don't we, from time to time? Well, oh, you know, one of the things I love doing is, uh, you know, working with the younger children and getting them to put words together, make things rhyme, have a bit of a laugh. It's, 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 it's important. You've got to have a bit of a laugh. All right. Another sip of my martini. Mm. All right. And now it is time. Oh, yes. It's time for Plato Chips. This is where we take note of and quote a philosopher of note. Now, my goal here with Plato Chips is not to share anyone's life story in detail, but simply to highlight free thinkers and the need to encourage all generations to value freedom of thought 
because without it, freedom of speech just becomes free expression with nothing of value to back it. <laughs> Rather like the Federal Reserve, really. Anyway, well, God knows we see enough of this freedom of expression without anything to back it all over the place today, especially in the great unwashed mind of uh, social media. So today's choice is American linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, historian, social critic, and political activist, Noam Chomsky, born Avram Noam Chomsky. Very busy man with all of those titles that probably didn't get much lunch done. Anyway, this chap, this brilliant chap, he was born in uh, 1928, right here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the USA. And he is best known for his work in linguistics, yes. Um, well, in fact, it's acknowledged that his research and contribution revolutionized not only the field of linguistics, but led to exploration of other related fields, such as cognitive psychology and the philosophy of mind and language. Why do I love him? Quite apart from the fact that he's a genius and I would love to be a genius myself. I love him because he's an outspoken critic of the economic elites, and he always talks about their effect on U.S. policy, both domestic and foreign now, if you're new to Chomsky, because he is a deep thinker, you may want to check out some of the videos on YouTube. They are edited to give you the better highlights of Chomsky. Uh, but he himself has written a great many books, including the classic from 1988, uh, Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of the Mass Media. Uh, and in this book, he describes, amongst other things, the role of mass media as propagandists. Now, Chomsky... He's a chap who really goes against mainstream thought. And that's perhaps why he's not as popular as he should do, um, you know, with the dimmed down masses out there. So if you're absolutely new to him, you might want to start with his 2010 offering, How the World Works. It's a lovely book because it's a series of edited interviews and speeches which give you the best of Chomsky's ideas in a clear and concise way. Because, you know, articulate as he is, and he is. Well, he can ramble on a bit, as most great thinkers do. And this book gives the average Jane like me all the best of chomp without any of the pomp. And when I say he goes on a bit, well, clearly he goes on about things that are important and very much part of the conversation. But most people with no frame of reference for such things, um, you know, will be lost. So I'm very grateful for this book, How the World Works. And I've subtitled it Chomsky's Greatest Hits. Okay, here's some quotes from Chomsky, just to put you in the mood, the Chomsky mood. Quote number one. All over the place, from the popular culture to the propaganda system, there is constant pressure to make people feel that they are helpless, that the only role they can have is to ratify decisions and to consume. Ooh, hello. Does that ring any bells? Ding, ding, ding. Another Chomsky quote, you cannot control your own population by force, but it can be distracted by consumption. Consumption. Next time you're in a big lot store, think about your consumption. Of course, it's not just of things, is it? Our diet consists of many things. What comes through our television system, a portal to the whole outside world, that television feeds us all the information that the establishment want fed. Hmm. One more quote, I think. 
I think it only makes sense to seek out and identify structures of authority, hierarchy, and domination in every aspect of life, and to challenge them. Unless a justification for them can be given, they are illegitimate and should be dismantled to increase the scope of human freedom. Did that sink in? I do love this guy. Noam Chomsky, if you want to know why you're feeling hopeless and helpless and you can't figure it out for yourself, he's the one who can tell you why. And once you know why, well, jolly well, go and do something about it. I think that's what we all should do. All right. There's your philosopher for the week, Noam Chomsky. Get out there and learn all about him and uh, write to me and tell me how wonderful he is. Okay, now it's time for Tarot A Go Go. A little shenaniganer with the major, with the major arcana. I think I've had too much of this martini. I'm uh, mispronouncing a lot of my words. I'll be more careful next time, maybe. Anyway, a reminder that we're using the Rider weight deck. I wish I had started with another deck, actually, something prettier, but this is the one that everybody uses, so we'll go with this. So moving on from last time, today's card is number five, the Hierophant, also known as the Pope. The pontiff, the high priest, and occasionally Jupiter. So what is a hierophant? It's not a word you hear a lot, is it? Well, I believe in ancient Greece, uh, it's a priest. A priest who specifically interprets sacred mysteries and esoteric principles. Now, if we take a look at this card, for those of you, you know, who have the tarot deck in front of them, a common reaction to this card is one of distaste. Because to many, the Hierophant represents the establishment, judgment, restrictions, hypocrisy, people telling you what to think, what to do, how to do it, you know, that sort of thing. Well, yeah, there's a lot of that in the physical world that we've created. But this card, it can give us access to our spiritual nature, too. But that requires a little meditation and a little prayerful contemplation it's easy to, you know, to access the divine Wi-Fi through the beautiful High Priestess card, for example. But it's not so easy through the rigid character of the Hierophant. So let's take a look at him right now. Quite regal, isn't he? He is all decked out in his regalia, looking, well, he looks... He looks a bit like a pompous dick, in my opinion. You know, he's sitting on his throne, a luxurious throne, which is uh, placed upon a platform. So he's up there above everyone. He is wearing the Trinity tiara, holding his eight-pointed cross, two lesser beings at his feet, two lower-ranking clergy. And, you know, what's he saying to them? Is he saying, my beloved brethren, seek the path of the inner light? Or is he saying, oi, you two, bring me a double latte with chocolate sprinkles and make it snappy? You know, he's got this look on his face. You just don't know what he's saying. The symbol of the cross keys also lies at his feet between the two lower ranking clergy. Are those the keys to spiritual wisdom? Or are they the keys to his hotel room? Kind of reminds you of the concierge symbol, doesn't it? But if we step back and take a breath and, Ani, pay attention, release all preconceived notions regarding clergy and step into the illumination of objectivity, as you're so fond of telling other people to do, 
you might see that he might not be a pompous stick after all. He could, for example, be a helpful advisor, someone who knows the ropes, so to speak, and can guide you through proceedings, legal or otherwise. He could be a doctor. He could be a teacher, some sort of counsellor. Whatever he is, though, he is very much a conformist. Because this entire demeanor, this whole card says stable traditionalist. But sometimes that's what we need when negotiating the system. Someone who knows how the system works. So when you pick this card, it could be that you're stuck in the system. Or it could be that you're searching for spiritual clarity and wish to refine your moral compass. I'm not one to set firm meanings to cards, you know. I would much rather that we spend time with each card in meditation and ask the card to reveal its wisdom to us. You know, when you get a deck, a nice fresh deck of cards, take it out of the box, get a lovely silk cloth for it. And for 33 days, spend 20, 30 minutes a day just shuffling your cards with clean hands, putting your energy onto it, and then sleep with your cards, as it were. Show them a good time. Put them under your pillow or somewhere in your bed for 33 days. Let those cards be saturated with your energy. Don't even start to learn about meanings or trying to open, uh, you know, uh, the Celtic spread or any of those spreads. Just shuffle them, put them back in the silk, wrap them up and take them to bed with you and put as much of your energy on them as possible. And then after the 33rd day, just start with the major arcana. And, you know, this is a long term project. Start with a card, hold the card for 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. Look at it. Just look at it and try to form your own ideas of what it's saying to you. Certainly it'll come with a book and the book will tell you what the card means, but that may not be everything that the card has to offer. In time, you'll have a relationship with your cards. The people in the cards will talk to you. And once you've done this protocol with the entire deck, when you go to actually do a reading, you'll lay out the cards in your preferred, uh, you know, whether it's the Celtic spread or whatever spread you want to do. And rather than have to struggle for a meaning, you've had such a wonderful relationship with the cards that all the people and the symbols in the card talk to you and tell you how to interpret for that particular person. Also, one of the things that comes up a lot with the cards is how to interpret them when they're reversed. Well, again, there is no one formula for this because the depth of your intuition guides the quality of any reading which is why I think it's so much better to work with the cards, prepare with them, live with them. But with a Hierophant, I'll just say that if you randomly pick up this card reversed, then it's time to break the chains of conformity and to speak your mind. And you'll start a new adventure and you'll explore new territory. So be excited. This is such an unpopular card. It's really funny. People... They get the tower, they get the death card, they go, ooh, I got the tower, I got the death card. You know, those aren't necessarily really good cards to get. But they'll get the Hierophant, which isn't such a bad card, and they look at it, and all their preconceived notions about authority, it triggers them. 
So if that happens to you, use my triggering protocol that we did in the Wizard's Gizzard, okay? It will really help you. So there we are, my darlings. And number five, uh, the Hierophant. Okay, let's take a look at what else we have to offer today. Um, I'm not sure if we have time for any more questions, but I would like to make you aware of some of the upcoming classes that we have. For those of you that live in the greater Portland area, uh, I live in Wilsonville, Oregon. That's where I do my classes. So we have some Cosmic Conversations coming up, which are two-hour informal classes that just introduce various New Age subjects to people. Nothing particularly serious and heavy, just an overview uh, we have a cup of tea. We have a bit of a laugh. Uh, let's see. So uh, October 26th, the cosmic conversation is deep state. What the heck is it? So I'll be discussing, uh, you know, the Illuminati, deep state, the establishment, the Bilderberg group, all of that. And I have to say, I'm very happy for uh, Jeffrey Epstein being busted the way he was, even though no one's talking about him anymore, because all of a sudden people are talking about deep state. Uh, interesting stuff. So come and uh, come to my workshop on 1026 about deep state. It's the most fun you can have with the Illuminati will be with me. And then on November the 23rd, we have a cosmic conversation, another two hour class on discovering past lives. That's a very interactive class. That's a lot of fun. So we discuss the whole purpose of reincarnation and we take a look at the themes of our lives and try to try to figure out what we have been in the past and in the future, because all points in time and space are one. Um, and that that opens us up. That really opens us up to the whole concept of eternal life and how much power we have as co-creators. And this year on the Christmas one, it's going to be on the 14th of December this year. And we are going to do an overview of shamanism and uh, learn a few little shaman tips and tricks. And we're also going to have eggnog and a giant bottle of bourbon, which we do every year in December on the Cosmic Conversation. So we're going to have a bit of a party and there's going to be party uh, party tricks for everyone and lots of fun. So uh, if you want to know more about my classes, please visit my website, arniabadissian.com. And all shall be revealed. If you have any questions, send me an email because that is the easiest way to communicate in today's busy, busy little world. So, my darlings, um, I think that's it for today. I think we have done it. We have used up an hour of linear time, an hour we will never get back. And this week's Real Life Martini was carefully crafted by yours truly using hot pepper vodka from New Deal Distilleries right here in Portland, Oregon. And I must say, it is truly a spicy perfection in each sip. You kids down at New Deal Distillery do honor unto your tradecraft. And my life experience, for one, is greatly enhanced by your skill set. Thank you. Hot Monkey Pepper Vodka, yes, from New Deal Distilleries right here in Portland, Oregon. It packs a punch. I only had one today, and I feel it. I can't wait to hear the rerun of this show. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed recording it. It's always wonderful to spend time with you. I'm Arnie Avedisian. 
This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.